Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Adele Carroll, director of ACTV Media. Adele, hello. Hi. Hello there. Well, thank you for coming on the program. Uh, We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, I think people often sort of think of of sort of leadership in terms of perhaps some negative terms. You know, it's it's so much about um, human nature and how you interact with people. Um, And so leadership means to me... Um, someone to look up to um, that's sort of driving forward an idea, um, but not necessarily somebody I agree with. I think that's probably what I'd say. And how would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, I would describe it as probably quite relaxed, but I think that's a lot to do with the fact in the television industry it has very... um, sort of distinct hierarchies of sort of crew and how people have to work with each other and what that chain of command is um, and, you know, how instructions are given. So I think because I work with trusted people, I, I, I often think that it's sort of like conducting an orchestra whereby, you know, you don't necessarily know how to play all the instruments, but you know how it's supposed to sound. Um, so I think my leadership is probably, yeah, quite relaxed because I'm generally working with people that I I trust, even if I haven't worked with them a lot before. Um, you know, you sort of work with people based on their reputation. But you still need to have, um, you know, you still need to have a plan in place, obviously, for how things are supposed to be and if things go wrong. Um, but yes, I try and be quite relaxed because I think, Um, In terms of television production, you get the best out of people when you trust them and Mm. let them get on with their job as they should. So trust is an incredibly important part of uh, your business. Definitely. Yeah, I think so. Um, Just sort of trust in both directions um, because they need to know that you've got a vision for what you want and, you know, that that you're going to do everything you can to get the best out of everyone but you know also they need to know that you that, that you trust them and um you know you're not sort of breathing down the neck every time you just you're just leaving them to sort of get on with their, their job as, as best they can under the circumstances let's go back to the very beginning of your career when you first started out your working life were there any particular individuals or uh, set of circumstances that shaped the way that you lead today it's interesting because i really go back to my um sort of school days when I think of leadership because um, I think things have changed a lot now in in terms of schooling and sports and things like that but certainly sort of in the 70s and 80s um, my education was very much about sort of you know positive thinking and trying to be the best and you know getting results and um, sporting achievements music achievements and I think that we always looked or I certainly always look to my teachers for that sort of leadership, right? You know, right, I want to be the best. Now you show me what I need to do. And I think I sort of carried that on through through my life, really. Sort of always try and sort of surround myself with people that, you know, are, are, are good in their field and are skilled. And I still always consider myself as someone who learns, you know, whether it's music or a new sort of 
um, physical activity. Um, I'm always trying to sort of learn and improve. And I, I really think that that came from my sort of formative years. Now, of course, leadership is uh, also about dealing with people and people aren't always at their best. Uh, they're certainly not infallible and sometimes they don't perform as we wish they would. How do you handle conflict within the workplace? Um, I, as I said earlier, I, you know, the thing about leadership is sometimes seen as negative because you don't necessarily agree with the leader or the person that's leading a team or a project. Um, I think with disagreement, it, you know, you need to hear people out. You might not always have the, the best um, solution to something yourself, even though you might think you do because you're sort of leading a team. And I think it's really important to hear people out. Sometimes that boils down to reaching a compromise. Sometimes you, you sort of put your hands up and say, actually, yes, I think you're right. Or sometimes, you you know, you need to say, no, actually, you know, this is how it should be. Um, I, I take on board what you're saying, um, but this is how I, how I want it to be. Um, but again, on the very, just on a very sort of human level, I don't, I'm not one sort of, you know, big kind of conflict. I'll certainly talk something out with someone. Um, but in terms of TV production, you're often in you know, time. And so, you, you know, the ultimate, you have to think, right, I've got to make this decision quite quickly. We need to go with this. So, um, yeah, it wouldn't be something that's long and drawn out, but I would certainly hear someone's views and opinions for sure. Now, of course, there are new leaders entering the workplace every day. Uh, what's your advice to the next generation? Um, I think it's, things are changing so much because it's often the case now, and I'm seeing this more and more, where um, younger people who are less experienced in the industry sort of know more about um, different technologies. So you're often dependent on people uh, for something that you haven't necessarily gone through the process of learning yourself. Um, so I think there's a change in that regard where you have to, um, you know, in terms of leadership, you have to let some people just sort of deal with their corner without you necessarily knowing sort of all the details of, of what it is they do and the technology and what's involved. But, you, you know, you need to encourage them to tell you, right, how long it's going to take, what might go wrong um, and that kind of thing. But, you, yeah, it's not sometimes I find myself in a situation where I don't actually know what the technology is because it's changing quickly and you can't keep on top of everything all the time when you've got your, you know, your eye has to be on the bigger picture. Um, so I think certainly in that regard, it's, it's changing. And also just in terms of, you know, the word leadership, people don't necessarily like to feel that there's um, sort of a big hierarchy in the workplace. And as I was saying earlier, you know, some, perhaps people see that as a negative thing now, and there's a lot more of a relaxed attitude in terms of that hierarchy, perhaps in sort of corporations. Um, and there's also uh, a sort of more of a drive towards the workplace being perhaps more of a sort of play area, for want of a better term, um, with sort of, you know, soft areas and creative spaces and that kind of thing. I'm not quite sure how I feel about that. I think that that does sort of sometimes soften the whole idea of a hierarchy, and I'm not sure that that's always a good thing. Um, but obviously working conditions and, you know, flexibility in the workplace is, is something that, that is a good thing. But, uh, yeah, I, it, I can't quite see sort of how that helps sort of the leadership on sort of projects and things necessarily. I think um, a relaxed attitude can only go so far. So I think there are a lot of challenges, particularly in sort of media and television um, in that regard. You know, keeping that creativity, but, you you know, you kind of need some, you need some structure behind it. You need, um, a, a sort of, you know, an overall vision. And I, I think that that's so, so important in the creative field. 
Do you feel that uh, hierarchy within the workplace is almost essential? Almost essential. Um, yeah, I do really. I mean, I don't know if that's quite an old-fashioned viewpoint, but I think you need a chain of command, and I think you need to know, you know, when things go wrong, who do you go to? Um, when things go wrong, who's accountable? Um, you know, I, it was very much when I was doing my BBC training, um, when you signed uh, a risk assessment for a shoot, if you were the producer, you were very much responsible for everybody's safety. And I think that's so important that the person uh, who's making the important decisions is responsible for everybody. So they've got a sense of responsibility and accountability. I think if you start pulling those um, sort of footholds, the hierarchy away, it, it, things become a bit nebulous and, you know, you sort of lose a sense of, of, of a structure, really. I think it's important as well for people who are training. They need to know who to look up to, who they go to um, if anything happens. Um, so, yeah, for me, I think that that is crucial. Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for ACTV? Um, it's sort of growing all the time, really. I'm getting more into... Um, sort of the music industry and um, trying to be more involved in social media because that's an area that um, I don't really have sort of much understanding of. So I bring sort of more people in with expertise in that area. And I said earlier, it's, it's sort of listening to them, learning from them, but also, you know, giving them an overall um, picture of, of what I'm sort of looking for creatively. Um, so, yeah, I suppose in terms of leadership, I'm having to be more flexible in that regard. But um, ultimately... You know, you have to have somebody who has got the bigger picture, the overall vision, who's, who's, who's driving everybody forward. Well, Dell, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope that you come back on the program at some point in the near future. Adele, thank you. I'd love to. Thank you so much. That was Adele Carroll, director of ACTV Media Limited. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool. Many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, just... yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a, there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, 
uh, came along. He made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and he's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that calibre, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to, to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure. When you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. 
Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn song and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious things I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be, be playing. In, in the team, but uh, in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I, at that stage I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be and I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt 
people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Al showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great, hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, The other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. Just, but then I again, found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you laugh If you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think, um, 
you were a young man when see, this happened, when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of the uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a, in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but... There's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck that's absolutely leadership he'd be the best example of course in in football terms today Uh, easily easily and of course going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson who's just absolutely Mm. you've got to take him as the first example but Klopp's only done this over a period of time a short period of time but if you look at the 25 26 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they've they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they. Uh, Ron Green was yeah. The answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but 
the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. Yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody, and I've going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard-nosed professionals, good, good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the sadly dwindling yes. numbers. We, we still got on, our wives got on all together all those years later. It didn't just finish after 66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, getting on with each other lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't, and, when, it, when you put those, those questions and how you categorize those, I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, the the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is team. The, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. You know, together, everyone achieves more. And that, that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking, if, if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without? in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness dedication, dedication to the job, um, thinking about that, that, that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. If you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may you know, have, a, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top, Managers and lead it, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm. I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organization. And I think that's you completely focus, you're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, 
thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome, Bruce. Good to, nice to have a talk about this and just go over the, over the past and just uh, refresh my, mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.